Welcome to Pop Psych 101, where we, licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad and licensed psychologist Dr. Haley Roberts, break down and analyze how mental health is represented in movies, shows, books, and across the pop culture and social media landscape. We will determine what lines up with real life and what is just pop culture fantasy. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome back to Pop Psych 101. I am licensed therapist Ryan Engelstad here with my co-host, Dr. Haley Roberts. Hello. Hello and welcome back, Haley. We are here with another adventure in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, it was another good one. And I know you're excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just, there, it just feels like they're really ringing this one dry. <laughs> Well, you know, and obviously we're going to get into it. So today we're going to be talking about Moon Knight, six-episode series on Disney+, Plus, which very intentionally uh, covers dissociative identity disorder, mm-hmm. or and in, in sometimes known to people as multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of aspects of that experience. And, you know, without comparing or contrasting, you know, it sort of, you know, reminded me of, you know, in some ways how people can have all sorts of let's say, confusing memory experiences, Uh right? All of a sudden they're lost or I don't remember doing that. And, you know, another common one is deja vu, which feels like, and, and, you know, people have heard me talk about like how I'm skeptical of things. (laughs) You? But deja vu for whatever reason. (laughs) Well, no, I know, I know. (laughs) But you, and people may be surprised to hear this. I'm, I'm sort of in on deja vu as an experience, and As I think, a woo-woo I, well, experience? I don't, no, no, no. Just in oh. like, I think it's a very real thing that I don't oh. understand. But like, yes. I totally believe it as uh, as a real yeah. like thing that exists for people. Oh, okay. Uh huh. So I feel compelled to. I mean, like, is this something? Because I know we've we've differed on some of these things. Like, uh-huh. are you uh, similarly uh, on board with the deja vu experience? Like, do you have anything yeah. that would tie into that? Absolutely. Yeah? And as usual. I'm in on the concept and then I'm also like, and I'm also open to it kind of being a woo-woo thing. (laughs) Mm. So I once heard, and I don't know if this is true, so please don't take this as fact, but um, I once heard that some explanations for deja vu is that one eye processes the experience faster than the other eye. And so your brain receives the information twice. And so it feels like you've been there before. Um, even though it's just like kind of happening in the same moment. But outside of that, yeah, one time when I was like, gosh, I'm going to pick an age, but I don't remember, like 12, my family and I were at Blarney Castle and we were walking up a set of stairs and I just like had this very intense feeling that I had been there before, but not like recently. Like I had this feeling of it being like, cold and drafty and like running up the stairs um kind of like with this like scared feeling and then it went away and i was like that was weird but to be clear you had never been to barney castle before so i mean technically my parents took me there before memory solidification age (laughs) um but (laughs) but no like i had not been there before as like a independent human 
but also like this feeling was like very clearly did not feel like it was my experience. It felt like I was experiencing someone else's experience, but it was like literally like a seven second thing, maybe not even that long. But then for the rest of the day, I was like super weirded out. And I was like, what's happening? Like, is it going to happen again? That was weird. Do I think it was anything now? It's a 12 year old, probably Mm. with an active imagination. (laughs) But yeah, but that I like to this day, I remember how odd it felt. So I guess, right, you said your explanation is that it was an active imagination thing, not necessarily like, because of the woo-woo thing I think about it that I don't buy is like when people think it's like past lives Mm -hmm. or, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. So this falls into that category of me being like, do I think it's a past life? No. If somebody came and was like, that was a past life, I'd be like, okay, dope. (laughs) Like, all right. Sure. Like, I'm not closed to those ideas and I think there's a lot of stuff that we don't know and isn't explainable and if somebody came and was like here's what it is and it was a woo-woo explanation if it felt meaningful their explanation I'd be like I'm on board for that so do I think it was an alternate life Eh, probably not however like I don't think that it definitely wasn't either (laughs) Mm, okay yeah so funny. <laughs> yeah. So so for me, it's like I, I look for the the sort of the what is it like the the least least like the uh, most likely logical explanation. And uh-huh. I think for me, especially when I think about the past, you know, what two and a half years of COVID, where I've just been inside, been in the same rooms, talking to the yeah. same people, like that sort of thing. And I've definitely had what I feel like is deja vu, where it's like I'm standing in the same spot in the same room, looking at the same person having the same kind of conversation or maybe even like saying the exact phrase, the exact words. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I have that kind of like zoom out of like this exact thing has happened before. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's sort of like all of a sudden I'm like very self-aware and like, I feel like the need to do something spontaneous to shake out (laughs) of whatever weird energy that was. Uh So that's, that's, like when I feel that sense of deja vu, that's usually what it is. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, maybe as a therapist, right, you know, as is not to say that sessions are are repetitive, but I think certain conversations we we tend to have, certain topics get repeated. There's uh-huh. naturally you talk to enough people, uh, you do enough therapy sessions. And I've had that sort of experience too, especially, you know, working from home where I'm literally in the same chair, you know, mm-hmm maybe one or two different chairs and you know looking at the same computer screen so it's not even like i'm you know experiencing a different person's energy in a space it's just looking at the same screen and it's just like no i've been here before but but actually literally like this is not even a deja vu (laughs) thing like this exact thing has happened multiple times yeah well do you also find that your patients kind of go through phases where like you'll often spend a day talking about the same stuff in like four or five sessions, obviously with different details, but like, well, I'm going to say this basically the same way I said it the last hour because it's the exact same thing. I absolutely experienced that. Yeah. And it makes me believe in that like concept of universal thought. Yep. Um, I'm always like, it has to be a thing because frequently, not all the time, but frequently I'll be like, I just had seven of the exact same session all day long today. Yeah. 
Yeah. So and I start to question myself, like, am I forcing topics? I know. Like, I feel that's, that way too. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, yeah. did I bring this up or did they bring this up? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, that's that's a relief to know that that's not just a me <laughs> thing, um, and that my hopefully my patients are not like I can't believe Ryan's on like this acceptance thing again. <laughs> No, it's probably, I mean, it is a shared experience, especially with, you know, with COVID and other sort of nationwide and worldwide experiences where we're all kind of going through. Like, I think that's just inevitable sometimes. Yeah, totally. I think I once yeah. read an article that was like the place where it's like most obvious is when somebody is like, "Ooh, I'm going to do this really retro Halloween costume and nobody else is going to think of it because it's so old. And then they go out and they see like three or four or five other people with the same costume. And they're like, what the heck? This was like an idea from like a million years ago, but a bunch of people dressed up like it. And the article was saying that um, because of universal thought, something probably happened that made you all think about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like something was like unconsciously triggered. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's sort of a good way for us to kind of jump into Moonlight because, you know, Mark Spector and, and his other alters all also maybe triggered, maybe find their own way in. So, mm -hmm. you know, we're going to talk all about um, dissociative identity disorder right after this break. Pop Psych 101 discusses mental health as it is portrayed in pop culture media. And because of this, we often cover sensitive topics that can be triggering for some listeners. We also delve into the characters and plots of these stories, and therefore, spoilers abound. So please, use your discretion as you listen to the rest of the episode. Moon Knight is an American television miniseries starring Oscar Isaac as Mark Spector, or Moon Knight and Stephen Grant, Mr. Knight, two alters of a man with dissociative identity disorder. It's based on the Marvel Comics character of the same name and is streaming now on Disney+. Plus. So, Haley, this show, before it came out, was very upfront about, you know, they wanted to talk about this important mental health issue mm -hmm. oscar isaac did interviews you know they're they're really playing up the fact that they want to you know have this larger conversation about mental health mm -hmm. so you know dissociative identity disorder is a tough place to start and we've we've talked about other uh marvel universe shows and movies and you know things that have sort of addressed mental health issues but mm -hmm. you know dissociative identity disorder is a difficult experience to represent on film and moon knight tries a whole bunch of different tricks and and ways to give a person who might not know anything about dissociative identity disorder an idea of what that experience is like yeah yeah i think it's a mental health disorder that is fun to do a movie or show about but definitely hard i think to portray accurately particularly since accurately is a pretty loose word when it comes to dissociative identity disorder that's right i think fun is the right word because it's like ooh, like a little plot device that we can play with and uh -huh. especially you know for an actor it's like oh i get to be three or four different characters all in the same series like how much fun that would be to you know play around with this um meanwhile yeah. for people who actually experience dissociative identity disorder i can't imagine they would really describe it as fun 
Yeah, I'm assuming that, right? Because it's just, it's a plot twist. Assuming, yes. Right? Yes, um, yes, and that's right. imagine if every moment of your day is a plot twist. Like, that would be mm-hmm. probably How did I get here? Yes. Yeah, how did I get here? Like, I'm being held accountable for things that I did not do. Yeah, it's got to be tough. Yeah, and and obviously the uh, way this sort of story introduces us to these different altars. So Mark Spector is the, and I want to, and just to be, so everyone sort of knows, we're going to be using some specific terms to sort of, you know, appropriately reference what this experience is. So altars are the sort of uh, way that we talk about the sort of different identities um, of Mark Spector, mm-hmm. right? So this man was born uh mark specter and some of his alters are stephen grant um and then at the very end of the series we also meet uh jake lockley so we know for sure of three different identities that we get sort of different clues about over the course of the series but we're introduced to him in the beginning just as stephen grant one of his Mm -hmm. alters so they set us up you know really from the beginning as a way to kind of trick us of like, oh, who is this person that we're meeting with this very interesting English accent and uh-huh. this job? And oh, but now he he wakes up, you know, uh, shackled to his bed every morning. Mm-hmm. So they kind of almost do it like a little puzzle box of yeah. what's going on with this guy. Yeah. And as a plot device, right, again, it's like something that, that they're playing with. So as a therapist, when you're watching them sort of set this up and you sort of hinted at, you know, as we were texting back and forth watching it, what's your sort of immediate reaction? Like, oh, like they're playing with this. Like it's it feels like a, a, a really specific plot device that they're using. Yeah. I think if people don't know this about me now, it's time for me to say it explicitly. I love when a movie artistically mirrors a character's experience by giving us the information in the way that the character has the information. And what I mean by that is we kind of understand what Stephen Grant's experience is like of being like, I'm this whole main person. I'm this core personality that just happens to have these blackouts and that's the entire truth. That's how it's given to us as well, right? Because we wake up with him. and the audience, yes. Yeah, yeah, us, the audience, yeah. Um, Like we wake up and it's him and clearly he must be the main character because he's the one we're focusing on. And then to find out that actually he's the altar is actually shocking for his identity, right? For Stephen Grant's um, alter identity is like, wait a minute, what do you mean I was created? Or what do you mean Mark Spector is the main person? Like, I think that I am. And I love I love it when sh- movies and shows do that, where they're like, we're going to give you the information in the same way that this character is receiving it. Uh, and then you're actually going to piece it all together and it's going to be different than you thought. And they do that here. And I love it. Yeah, it's very effective as a storytelling tool, um, for sure. But I think, I'm sure that the audience is also very curious of like how, um, and we're going to talk about all sort of different aspects of the accuracy of this, but, you know, for for one of the altars to be sort of living a life unaware Mm -hmm. that they are an altar for an extended period of time, you know, how, how common is that? Is that something that would really happen this way where he has yeah. a job and he, 
you know, sort of has social interactions and he has a fish. And he, as far as we can tell, he's carrying on a pretty manageable life. And then all of a sudden he starts finding out about maybe he has these other altars within him. Like, is that, does that feel fairly accurate to you? Uh, Yeah. So I do want to say that I by no means have a specialty in dissociative identity disorder, DID. So I'm going to be talking about it from the little that I do know. But one thing that I do know about it is that it is one of those disorders that is highly unique to the individual. And so some people can have like one altar and some people can have 100 altars and the amount of time and space that each altar takes up is different depending on each person. Um, so I don't know if it's common for an alt. It's, it almost seems the way that they present the movie is that like Steven almost takes up uh, lately, at least takes up more time and space. Oh, actually I think they tell us at the end after mom's funeral, it seems like Steven yeah. takes up more time and space in, in the world. Yeah. And I don't know how common that is um, to have it switch to a point where an altar is actually far more the out personality than the others, but totally got lost in what I was saying. What was your question? Yeah, that sort of initial setup, like the way that they set up, you know, Stephen as like, as far as we know, the only personality of this individual. And then for him to kind of find out like, oh, wait, hold on. You know, you think you've been living as this person for your whole life, but that's actually not the case. Yeah. And that's pretty jarring for Steven, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be, it's jarring for anybody, you know, any version of any identity to know that there are gaps of memory, which is very common. It's actually a required criteria uh, for DID, according to the, the DSM. And so, so yeah, like I think that, it kind of starts out with just kind of this concern about attention difficulties or psychotic disorders or things like that. And then to kind of piece together, actually, I have these distinct personalities within my one self. Like, I don't know how easy that would be to to accept or to kind of be aware. I think one thing that does happen for some people, but doesn't happen for everyone is not every altar is available to the core personality. So Mm. they don't always communicate. And it seems as though for the majority of Mark's life, he, and at least, well, it seems like he and his altars have not communicated for the majority of his life until recently. And so recently they've started he and Steven have started communicating with each other. Um, And then obviously Jake is not communicating with them. And that can happen. Like some DID will let co-consciousness happen between the Mm. altars and some won't. And it can even be that like, let's say somebody has five personalities, five or like four altars. They can know and communicate with two of them, but not the other two. Um, or something like mm-hmm. that. That That's something that can definitely happen, but it depends on the person and the personality, things like that. Yeah. And to your point about this being a very like highly individualized experience, you know, I think for some people they might watch something like Moon Knight and be like, no way. Like there's no, like people are not 
looking in the mirror, talking to their other personalities. And and to be fair, like that that's not could happening. be a very Hollywoodized. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. You have to illustrate that they're talking to each other. Yeah. Well, right. But that's sort of and that's the challenge, right? When you're trying to represent something like DID on screen is because to your point, like the alters can interact with each other, but it's not as if, well, and, and again, we can't with authority say people don't experience this, but if they do, this would be a, a highly, highly unique uh, sort of version of DID in the sense of, yeah. you know, Steven's looking in the mirror and Mark is talking back to him. You know, that feels like a little bit more of a stylized way to kind of acknowledge this inner turmoil or this inner conflict. Yeah, especially since, like, the way they show it, like, the person in the mirror is talking, but the, like, person outside the mirror is not moving their mouth. Like, that's, you know, that's an imagined thing for somebody. So, yeah, I think it's just, that's just Hollywood version of, like, how can we portray that this is the altar talking to him um, instead of just the accent yeah, so right. So the accent work and, and, and I think this is sort of another example of this sort of idea of, well, like how real is this, right? Because mm-hmm. if the alters can interact with each other, can they also, as as is portrayed in the show, mm-hmm. both voluntarily and involuntarily take over the body, right? We see yeah. that throughout the show where they're sort of almost like wrestling for control or requesting control and then granting control. Yeah. So that's yeah. a really interesting aspect of this, obviously, the challenge for people with DID uh-huh. that is probably very confusing for people to, to view as well. Yeah. So I the part that made me go like, I don't think so, and I actually didn't find any research on it, is where one consciousness is controlling the mind, but the other consciousness is controlling the body. Like when Stephen was trying to hand the scarab off in the beginning and Mark kept on like moving the body and pulling it away. I don't think that's realistic. Now I am open to being corrected on that uh, with research and and evidence, but I did some brief research and I did not find that. Some of the work that is done with DID is trying to um, get the, alters to talk to each other to get the different personalities to communicate and kind of get on the same page because apparently that's one way to try to maintain kind of consistency you know and so I wonder if this like them giving each other control at different times and and willingness to engage and asking for control back and things like that like I wonder if that's a a dramatized version of what happens in DID work in therapy. Yeah, because obviously that's, that's a challenge both for the the patient and the therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Where the individual personalities, as we see with Mark and Steven have individual goals. You know, Steven just wants his life back, just wants his job back, just Mm -hmm. wants to, you know, be able to feed his fish and kind of hang out and live a very low-key life. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, Mark is some kind of mercenary. Uh-huh. Um, and as we find out more than that, he's a superhero. He's a an avatar of the moon god Khonshu. As you do. So obviously <laughs> they have they have very different and in fact oftentimes directly conflicting goals and motivations. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I think um, it's really important to discuss that one, what is seen as one of the most common causes of DID is trauma in childhood. And it's kind of believed that this dissociation first and foremost, but then truly creating a different identity is a way of dealing with the trauma. And one of the examples was given was um, a parent that is unpredictable and terrifying was the one article that I read. And like Mark's mother is absolutely unpredictable and terrifying. And so um, it's, that's a very common, very common thing is for this to develop as a trauma. And so I definitely think it would kind of make sense that they have distinct goals because basically what happens at that time is the child is like, okay, you're going to be my protector or, okay, I'm going to disappear into this other personality so that I don't have to deal with this And so it really allows to, quite frankly, have distinct experiences, distinct personalities, distinct goals, distinct everything intentionally to be able to remove oneself from that trauma. Uh, So, yeah, it would make sense that they would have kind of different goals in that way. Absolutely. But then that, that sort of becomes a problem for them as a whole person to sort of navigate and negotiate through the different challenges they're dealing with, right? Because mm-hmm. um, at the sort of outset, Stephen is basically, you know, relieved of his job because, you know, he's on screen kind of, well, I guess not he's as himself, but as Mark, like wrecking yeah. the bathroom, yeah. right? Um, fighting this mystical jackal creature um, that nobody else can see. And they try to give him uh, basically information for the the psych ward or a psych hospital mm-hmm. based on, you know, their observation of his behavior. And it's got to be troubling for Stephen, who has just had, as far as he can tell, like a very real traumatic experience, but no one else sees that. And I think this is probably one of the biggest challenges probably for, for people struggling with the idea, which is, you know, the sort of individualized experiences of the altars, mm-hmm. not really giving anyone a sort of full puzzle of their experience. And we see that with Mark's wife, who Stephen doesn't even know exists until he finds Mark's burner phone and that relationship then gets uncovered. So these sort of fractured part of a, of a life that is, is really one person's life, but it's um, sort of owned by multiple uh, alters, as we're talking about. Yeah, I think having a so, relationship with somebody with DID is probably tough in a, in very unique ways. And particularly, Layla is not aware that Mark has DID. Right. And so she's just like, you are gone and I have no explanation for it. You have no explanation for it. What is happening? Um, I read a a take today from somebody who was in a relationship with someone with DID and one paragraph said, sometimes it's like you're in the middle of a conversation and the person you're talking to starts staring out the window and you find yourself talking to yourself. And then when they realize Mm. they're not paying attention, you have to start over. And they described that as, kind of how sometimes it feels being in a relationship with someone with DID is you've told this whole story, realize that you've been talking to yourself and realize you have to start over, which probably can be tough if that family isn't on the same page, if they don't have support, 
things like that. Yeah. So, you know, we, we sort of feel for Layla mm -hmm. who, you know, kind of gets wrapped into this larger adventure because she's so cool though. Oh, oh my gosh. She's great. Right. <laughs> she's because she's totally, I mean, as, as thrown off as she is by getting introduced to Steven and the sort of experience that, Stephen and Mark are having, mm -hmm. she rolls right along with it. And that's yeah. probably the biggest thing as you're acknowledging like what someone with DID needs, which is people around them with a high degree of acceptance, um, openness, yeah. and, and the ability to validate sort of uh, whoever they're with in that uh -huh. moment. Yeah, absolutely. And what's really cool is she kind of falls forward all the different parts of him. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be tough, but she's cool. Well, right. And, and you know, because and that sort of brings me to this sort of larger question, right? Because, you know, both Mark and Stephen kind of struggle with this idea of, of identity, right? Before we see them kind of travel into the field of reeds and kind of get united and, and, you know, have that acceptance of each other when they go through the the sort of self-understanding process of where the multiple personalities sort of originated in the trauma that they've experienced. Mm -hmm. We see this sort of wrestling with, with identity of like, well, what kind of person am I? What kind of person is Mark? What kind of person is Steven? Am I okay with violence? Am I okay with the things I've done as a avatar of an Egyptian God? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to imagine that again, like another large challenge um, and, and just, for, for Mark and Steven specifically is, you know, who am I as a person, right? And especially for Mark sort of wrestling with the things that he's done as Khonshu's avatar. He's killed people. He's, you know, hurt people in his own life. And, you know, he has to not only wrestle with that, but also sort of this, this other, this altar, right? Of, you know, why is this person in control? Who is he? You know, why can't I control my own body? And this sort of idea of identity kind of comes up a lot throughout and even continued, you know, through the, the sort of, do you want to say imaginatory, hallucinatory psych hospital? Right. Cause it's not real. Yeah, it's like the afterlife. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. It's basically one giant metaphor, Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's valuable in the sense of, you know, not that the altars are necessarily going to become extinct, but more sort of are becoming unified in a way that allows them both to exist. Well, at least Stephen and Mark. Sort of, right. I yeah. mean, well, that's that's the challenge, right? Because I imagine, you know, for someone with DID and therapy that they, you know, especially the, you know, the sort of uh, primary identity, right? The primary personality um, yeah. that they might have the goal of like, well, I just, I want all of them to go away, right? Mm -hmm. But it's unfortunately, in many cases, not that simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then like Mark and Steven, you have to kind of figure out the ways to, to help everyone work together. Yeah. Yeah. So during our severance episode, you mentioned like what you would ultimately want is to kind of do like family therapy between the work version yep. and the home version. And interestingly enough, that's kind of the approach here for talk therapy for DID. So DID is not really so far successfully treatable with medication. And so mostly talk therapy is what has proven most successful. And basically, first and foremost, 
dealing with the trauma, right? Facing that trauma, processing that trauma for Mark, since Mark is the one that remembers it. However, the kind of other step is kind of family therapy for the altars, right? Like getting them on the same page, getting them kind of same goals, same ideas, and kind of being a team rather than being a person who wants others to go away. And I don't know the research on ACT therapy being used for DID, but I can see many ways where it could be super beneficial when there are these trauma responses that are triggered and lead you to literally doing something that's out of your consciousness, consciousness's control. Right. And so can you be accepting that this is your brain and body's experience and still choose valued things when Mm. you have the ability to? Yeah, and they, and you you put in your notes, um, you know the the capacity to be really honest with yourself, right? And yeah. and in a way, it's honest with this other version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think as Stephen and Mark's relationship builds, you know, it's interesting. It was really interesting to me to watch Stephen not wanting. I'm sorry, uh, Mark actually, Mark not wanting Stephen to see what Mark had been through. So yeah. Mark knew that he'd been through the loss of his brother and he'd been through the, the, the sort of abuse at the hands of his mother and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the room of people that he had killed. And he didn't want Stephen to see any of this mm-hmm. um, in the metaphor of psych hospital of their, of their, of their brain or of their different identities. Yeah. And that feels very representative of, you know, why Stephen exists in the first place. Yeah. Almost didn't want Stephen to know that he had been created. Right. And why he was created. Yeah. 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 I think that I don't remember exactly what triggered that being really honest with yourself idea. I do remember what it was while they were in the psych hospital, but I was thinking there's lots of times where when we're thinking about what's important to us or our values or our goals, we'll kind of choose our fear and we will be like, oh, well, I didn't really value that thing and that's why I didn't do it or something like that. And in those moments, being really honest with yourself and saying like, no, I did value it and I chose not to do it because I was afraid and I was nervous is actually far more powerful because if you're being really honest with yourself in that moment, next time it's easier to choose the more valued thing. And I think for for Mark and Steven, Steven's identity is literally created so that Mark doesn't have to deal with reality, right? Child Mark had such a traumatic experience that it was actually easier for him to just become a different person. And so it's not that he's being dishonest with himself, but I feel like that's a way to kind of relate the experience between DID and those who don't have DID of like, well, what's it like when instead of it being me versus the voice in my head for them, it's them versus themselves in different situations. Yeah. And, and, and right. Maybe it's not so much dishonesty as like almost like deception or, or like avoidance of the truth. Right. Or like um, lack of knowledge of the truth in their case. Oh, right, exactly. Yeah. Well, similar to like the way the memory gaps exist for the individual alters. Uh-huh. 
Well, and that I think is kind of the wildest part about DID is that our brain is so powerful that it can literally shut off our memories unless we're in certain states. And like, I know that like state dependent learning is absolutely a thing. So for example, if you are going to do a performance, having a dress rehearsal in the same space is actually really good because your brain puts that that information into your head in that environment. So the next time you're in that environment, that information is more easily accessible. So it's wild to me that our brain can do that so well that it can literally turn on and turn off series of information, which is so cool that our brain can do that. It's wild. I guess it's kind of like when you go visit a place that you used to live and suddenly you're using the like terminology or the like phraseology that is used in that place versus like another place without intending to. Yeah. Or like if, if you've, or if you've lived in different parts of a country or the world and like your accent just slips back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I think this sort of memories only being accessible to certain alters, I think is also, you know, cause I'm sure you've experienced this with people in therapy where it's like, Oh, I think something might've happened to me in childhood, right. Mm-hmm. Is a sort of a, a phrase that I'll hear sometimes mm-hmm. where people have a sense that, they might have had an experience that they don't remember. Well, why don't I remember it? Well, is it possible I'm just making up something that I, mm-hmm. I you know, fits what I think might have happened? But I think it's exactly, you know, what we're talking about with DID. And obviously, there's different flavors of this sort of dissociation or, you know, memory loss type experience. But this sort of idea of I can have been through something and my brain can, I don't know if decide is the right word, but sort of in a self-protective way, you know, you don't need to have this memory. So let's mm-hmm. sort of set up a construct or, a, you know, an internal uh, categorization system through which this yeah. memory doesn't need to be accessible or this specific sensory experience doesn't need to be accessible to you. Yeah. I think one thing that it's is fascinating. Yeah. Su- a, yes. Super fascinating. I think one thing that is also very important is that dissociative amnesia. So what you're talking about, which is like, I think something Mm -hmm. happened that I don't remember. Super, super, super rare, like less than 1% of 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 the population. Right. But people ask about it because of, of, you know, of some knowledge or. yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think what's also tough is that at a, up until a certain age, we don't have memories. Mm hmm. And so I think oftentimes people would be like, well, I don't really remember that part of my childhood. And like, I only Mm -hmm. get like snippets and I remember being scared or something like that. And the thing is like, those are the memories you're going to have are the ones that were high emotionality. If you remember memories. And even then you're probably only going to remember snippets of them. So I think it's super important that, realizing that just because you don't really have a full memory of something does not mean that you have dissociative amnesia. However, you could potentially be part of the like 1% of men, 2% of women. Um, However, again, it is rare. And so I think some of the things to look into or that a, a therapist would look into would be 
is this hallucinations? Is this dissociation? And one thing that uh, DID can often be mistaken for is um, psychosis, because especially if the alters can talk to each other, right? Because then it comes across mm-hmm. as quote unquote hearing voices. Yep. And then another thing is that um, malingering happens. And so what malingering is, is when somebody pretends to have a disorder of some kind in order to get something from it. And that happens enough (laughs) that it's something that needs to be ruled out by a therapist when somebody is showing up with these symptoms. Um, However, there are tests to rule that out and things like that. So yeah, I think those are just some of the things to think about is that it's not super duper common. So you know, if you hear hooves, think horses rather than zebras, because it's more likely to be a horse than a zebra. Exactly right. I love that. Because I do think, you know, these different symptoms, as you pointed out, um, are often sort of confused or conflated as one or the other. And even, you know, other people's reaction to Mark's, you know, DID experience, it's like, oh, he needs help or, oh, he's, you know, uh, you know, Kanshu kind of reacts to to Mark and and thinks of Mark in different ways. Yeah, he's mean. <laughs> he is mean. <laughs> so, I think it's important to kind of, you know, be specific and sort of what is being represented here and and also what it's not. So, mm-hmm. thank you yeah. for that. Walking through that. Yeah. So, in towards the end of this series, we see Mark and Stephen. Sort of, and I think they even identify this in in the psych hospital after Mark is shot in the tomb of Alexander the Great, you mm-hmm. know, as one does. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they're sort of in this, maybe is it the afterlife? Is it a, yeah. just an organizing principle? Uh-huh. And they're in the psych hospital. And uh-huh. Arthur Harrow is also there. And that was the part that was sort of confusing for me was, it felt like a little bit almost like a hallucination of, oh, I'm I'm dealing with this villain and now he's in this sort of space that I'm imagining myself in. Yeah. But the more they kind of went into the history, it was interesting. Yeah. So I think it's intentionally meant to be confusing all the way to the end. And That's right. they do a very good job of that. I think the idea of the psych hospital as an organizing principle, I think, is so cool. So... Basically, an organizing principle for our audience is when your brain kind of creates a narrative in order to piece bits of information together in an organized, meaningful way. And so basically for Stephen and Mark, they have created this idea of this long hallway with all these different doors And all the different doors are their separate memories. And what I super like about it is that they are both getting to experience each other's memories. And so it's this like coming together of the two identities. Yeah. And it's really cool because it's like, oh, it's one hospital, right? So it's one person, but there's these separate rooms of, of memory that they are now bringing together as they really merge those two identities. And I was like, this is a really cool representation of their mental health process. And one of those things explicitly being a room that is up three flights of stairs that Mark is trying to keep locked and trying to keep away from Stephen because it is like the one or two highly traumatizing memories. 
Yeah, and and it has some of the sort of classic tropes of a psych hospital, right? The sort of very authoritative uh, psychiatrist type character, uh-huh. right? We have the sort of mysterious guards coming in and injecting someone into the neck, uh, sedative, right? Whitewashed rooms and and like empty long hallways. And look, it's not to say that there are not psych hospitals that are like that. <laughs> uh, but also, it's it's the way they always look in movies, and they're not yeah. always... Well, I always that. get concerned when, when psych hospitals are, are portrayed that way, even as an organizing principle, because it's like, oh, man, they already have such a bad rap, and, <laughs> and if every single one is, is represented as like, well, the villain's the one in charge of the psych hospital, it's like, well... Yeah. I get it, but that's just rough because any anytime I talk to, let's say, people who have never been in therapy before, or people who are just coming to therapy the first time, but are maybe scared of like the possibilities of oh, would, you know, are you going to send me to the hospital kind of thing? Like this is the kind of thing that they're picturing. Yeah, is always the sense that I get. Yeah. yeah, well, it's that Hollywood thing, right, where the therapist or the psychiatrist are always like three steps ahead and manipulative, and like there's always that like evil tint to the the leaders in the psychology field in Hollywood. But yeah, particularly when you throw the word hospital onto it, right? Because that makes it yeah. scarier. Yeah, no, I don't like it either. And also yeah. what's super confusing is, again, they intentionally make it. So it's like, how much of this is afterlife? How much of this is inside his head? How much of this is hallucination? How much of this is magic? Right. Because as soon as you start to realize yes. that, like, it's kind of a this is not the accurate term, but like a shared hallucination almost, it makes you realize, like, oh, there's a little bit more magic y stuff happening here that we're unaware of. Yeah. I mean, there's if there's an Egyptian god inside the psych hospital, then, then we're dealing with more than just a, like an internal organizing principle. Uh-huh. Right. This is this is magic. And that's okay. This is uh, Egyptian, Afterlife. you know, uh, yeah, Egyptian afterlife, and and look, and and from what I've read, again, I'm not certainly not an expert on Egyptian mythology, but a lot of that stuff people responded very well to. Like they liked some of the representations of those various gods and sort of the way that they were um, introduced. So yeah. that's great, and we see Mark and Stephen kind of pseudo go into the afterlife and then lose each other and then reconnect with each other, and this is like all this way of as um, I want to say it's Tuaret you know, identifies that they need to kind of make their heart whole. Mm-hmm. And that's like a very interesting metaphor for, you know, I guess combining these two altars or at least helping them to kind of work together to know each other yeah. and know each other's strengths, right? Yeah. I think I think it makes me like wonder about biology of someone with DID. Like if mm. I'm stressed out and that triggers an alter to show themselves does that cortisol linger or does it decrease because the memory isn't there because this this alter has learned to be calm in in terrifying situations i don't know i don't know much about that but um it definitely you know when you think about taking two and making them one it makes me wonder like how much is shared how much does cross over yeah. already? Plus also a little bit of a plot hole. Well, and they have that sort of very interesting scene on the boat where Stephen sort of has this moment of realization. It's like, oh, well, if Mark can do that with our body, like 
so can I. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden he has like ninja fighting skills also, uh-huh. which is like a really cool moment on one hand. And uh-huh. just like, man, I don't, I don't know. Is that, that feels like magic. That feels like a, a convenient sort of superhero development. However, people who like lose declarative memory. So like if somebody says, oh, I don't know how to play golf because they've lost that that factual memory, their body will still know how to play golf. So like if you put the ball down and be like, okay, we'll just swing and hit the ball. They'll do it well if they were a good golfer before. Yeah. Or like piano or language skills. Yeah. yeah a lot of that stuff yeah. does get it does get kept. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. um, so I, yeah, I just kind of picked something, but yeah. So it almost is like realizing like, wait a minute, mm-hmm. he is me. So I do have those skills. Yeah. I don't know. I think the teeny tiny plot hole though, is they suggest in that like kind of afterlife thing that the two of them need to resolve in order to go into the afterlife but then they tell us mm, there's at least three of them and so it's like mm, well, right all three so of it's them have so it to? can't just be that it's like two halves yeah. right yeah and i think that's sort of a good representation of the loss or the absence of certain memories is so strong that it's not even present in the afterlife which is like uh-huh. a little trippy to think about yeah but you know it's certainly a, a to your point like a fun plot hole in the sense yeah. that they kind of get through this whole final battle and we think they're free of being the avatar of Kanchu because they you know sort of negotiated with him and it's like nope actually you have a, a third altar and he's still cool being the Moon yeah. Knight character so sorry you're still kind of yeah, stuck. Yeah he said something like I'll let both of you go or something like that. Pretty much yeah, yeah. I release you yeah. Yeah and he like specifically said like you too right and so did not include the third Mm-hmm. Jake or Josh or whatever his name is. Jake. Yes, Lockley. Jake Lockley. Yeah. 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 Who also has a different accent or like speaks Spanish or something. Like they just kind of throw that in. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating. And and look, I mean, well, I think you wanted to talk about the sort of broader Hollywood's deal with DID. But I also think just in general, like it's on one hand, like it's is it kind of cool and hopefully a continued positive development that these really popular movie franchises and TV franchises like want to represent or portray these very serious mental health issues? Like, yeah, I think in the in the yeah. broad scope of things like that is a good thing. Yeah, I think what's really nice about like media in general is that we're talking about these things more openly and more explicitly as time passes, like even with like fight club, for example, they had this idea of DID, but it just kind of was like plot twist. And then the movie was over. (laughs) Like that's kind of like how it happened. Whereas this, it was the conversation and like, did they play with it in a theatrical way? Yes. However, like as we've kind of mentioned, they also did a really nice job. And, and at very least what they're doing is they're making it a discussion. And so maybe somebody gets interested and they go and they do research and they look it mm-hmm. up. I luckily think that most people will not be like, Ooh, Moon Knight, this Marvel Disney collaboration. This is an exact portrayal of exactly how this looks. Like I'm thinking most people probably won't do that, <laughs> which is great. But yeah, I think anytime you start the conversation, it's good normalize right that's what you and i are hoping to do but also that's right not as big as disney so like it's great that disney's doing it 
Yeah, and and to Disney's credit, like representations of DID have come a long way. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other examples I was thinking of, you mentioned um, Fight Club, the weird one that's actually played not just for a plot device, but like for comedy it was mm-hmm. like me, myself and Irene, like a like a very sort of obscure Jim Carrey movie. But mm-hmm. it's again, like a plot device, but used for laughs. And it's yeah. like, oh, I know. I don't know if that's better. Well, it's certainly not better. It's definitely worse. I don't, just don't know how much worse. <laughs> yeah, I think you always But there's other tropes with this too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I read today, just as a side, that some people, it's, it's slightly more rare, but some people's alternates will be animals sometimes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? I would love to know the psychology behind that. But yeah, because they can be as, you know, different genders, very distinct Mm -hmm. differences. But animals, I think, is is quite interesting because to me, it's harder to understand how somebody can get into the like mindset of an animal. Um, But yeah. Well, right, because that all feels sort of like self-generated right well they all um, kind but of i guess are, that's right? what that's what this is no yeah. i know it's just sort of interesting like because you're literally imagining like what it would be like to be yeah. a dog and that's just yeah. like we don't have any sort of reference for that particularly but, yeah. if the trauma happens to a child you know for sure right yeah. exactly right yeah yep and you know we were talking before we started recording about the sort of tendency of hollywood to you know, for the most part, focus on the sort of male experience of DID, either it being, in Moon Knight's case, a hero, or in many other examples, like a villain, or sometimes both, right? Like uh-huh. a Jekyll and Hyde sort of situation. But well, I was going to say, but the reality, right, which you pointed out to me, which I didn't, didn't necessarily, I hadn't really thought of, is that... Oh, I was going to do that in my review. Oh, good. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, so yes. Yeah. So then let's, uh, let's go right ahead and get to our reviews, because I think that that is a really important piece that that maybe we will we'll have a couple minutes on. So yeah. So let's see what fun thing to reference. So <laughs> on a scale of one to five unidentifiable English accents, <laughs> how accurate would you say uh, Moon Knight was in depicting DID? Yeah, I love that you ask DID specifically <laughs> um, because it's kind of hard beyond that because what is mental health? What is magic? What is, you know? Yes, yeah. So we're trying to leave that stuff to the outside. Yeah. yeah. So DID specifically, what I think, I, I'm thinking like a four minus so like a four and then lose some points but i don't know how many because i think there are some specific things that are not represented well like i i don't think that one consciousness can control the body while the other consciousness is Mm -hmm. in charge but a lot of the stuff that they represent it from the research that i did seems very realistic right loss of time loss of information sometimes shared consciousness being able to talk between the altars and also sometimes not knowing right like they don't know about jake so i think they did that all really well within the context of magical chaos so you have to take that into account i might have a lower rating if it was the same depiction in just like real world oh sure but i do think like one place where they do lose points as well is 
Hollywood seems to have this like interesting take that men have DID because when you and I were talking at the beginning, we were let's name the movies we know and all the ones we named had men as the the people with DID. However, research shows that women have it far more often than men do. And I just thought that was super interesting. It is. I'm trying to figure out sort of what it says. And maybe it's just, you know, Hollywood in general's problem. (laughs) Well, yeah, right. Exactly. Of like, there's way more male centric films than there are female centric films. Uh huh. But I wonder if it's also something to the degree of, you know, I guess it's easier to make, not easier, easier is the wrong word. It's more comfortable, familiar for producers and for directors and, you know, to, well, the the man is the villain or the man is the hero. And if we want to use this, then this is, yeah, but that's. Yeah, I also think that. For a long time, our culture has struggled seeing men as like emotionally complex humans. Mm. Whereas, like, women were sure. like, so yep. many emotions, which also does <laughs> yeah. a, that narrative does a disservice of its own. Absolutely. However, we really struggle to see men as emotionally complex characters. And it, to me, it almost feels like, oh, we can make him emotionally complex if we just give him different personalities, right? And they do that explicitly in this one where Steven is this like gentle, timid, educational nerd, right? And uh, Mark is Mm -hmm. this like tough, don't care, kill people, blah, blah, blah. And it's almost like, oh, in order to have this full emotional experience, he clearly needs to be two people. A different person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. So I kind of wonder if that plays a role of like, and why it's so frequently used as a plot twist of like, look, it was one person the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Right. Because the idea that he could encompass all of those traits as one personality is like, well, that's like that. No, no man is like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like no man would be gentle and sweet one moment and then tough and scary the next and it's like actually Mm -hmm. all humans are complex men included um so i wonder if that maybe plays a role in the context of what you were sharing as well which is hollywood tells us stories about men and so that's where the stories tend to lie but yeah that's kind of where my mind wanders yeah well i think that's that's really important insight here because you know as we ask for and advocate for more accurate depictions of mental health challenges. I think, you know, the sort of diversity of those experiences is also important as well, right? It's great that we're getting a lot of, you know, uh, and and probably also predominantly white men, mm-hmm. you know, with these different uh, mental health challenges that we've talked about on our podcast. But it's also been you know, I think also really rewarding and eye-opening when we get diverse depictions of those experiences as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think it's also really important for both us as therapists and and a psychological field in general, as well as like Hollywood, to think about, well, what do the others look like, right? So for example, autism spectrum disorders frequently go misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed in girls because we don't actually really know what it looks like in girls. And also 
in boys of color and especially girls of color, it goes underdiagnosed because the narrative has been so focused on one. So, you know, both being accurate, but also curious about, well, what does it look like if it's not this person? Yeah. 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 So here's some more, uh, more diverse uh, storytelling and, and ways to kind of represent, you know, these familiar challenges, but coming from different, different backgrounds and different presentations so that it's not just, Oh, this is what this looks like. It's that this thing can look like all these other things, Yes. you know, based on, that individual's experience in every context, not just psychology. Yep. Yeah. Of so, course. Absolutely. Yep. Talking about storytelling yes. on a scale from one to five ancient constellations. <laughs> how entertaining did you find Moon Knight? Yeah. So this is a really interesting test case for, for Marvel because I think they intentionally with this one, like did not, connect any obvious dots to the broader like mcu universe there's a couple of references here and there but um but in general like they didn't talk about captain america like there was no references to the like other big bad guys you know Uh there was no mention of the blip and the avengers and all those sorts of things so on one on that side i was really happy for that because Uh i think Marvel can kind of get weighed down by needing to do all this sort of backwards and forwards references. So having like an independent story, I really appreciate it. And I hope they continue to do that. You know, the story itself and, you know, we talked about obviously over the course of today's episode, like some of the storytelling uh, methods that they use. The one, one of the ones that while I think you and I both appreciate it because it is from Mark or Steven's perspective that was frustrating for people who might not have our perspective was, well, why couldn't we see what Jake was doing? Like, why couldn't we see this crazy fight scene where obviously Steven and Mark like weren't aware of what was happening? Uh-huh. Like, I want to know what Jake's doing. So that you'll watch the and next I think some series, people, that's why. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, that's part of it. But it's also like they got they got accused basically of like cost cutting because it's like, oh, we don't have to show you like that fight scene. We'll just cut that out and, and write it off as like, oh, oh. Both, all the characters blacked out and you don't, you don't see what happened. Oh, that's funny. I think it's intentional. Well, of course. But like, you know, these are the sort of criticisms yeah. of it. I think you and I agree that that's like actually a really – uh, valuable way to show what this experience is like, but you know, people want their fist. Well, fights, and also so. to get people curious about the right, like if you had seen it all the way along, the mystery, the yeah, plot of course. twist at yeah. the end would not have mm-hmm. been exciting. So that's you, very you, true. You kind of have to be like, wait, what's happening in order for Jake to be like, hello, I'm here, and you're like, oh, that's what's happening. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's and that's that's why for me, I really liked, you know, as soon as we got the metaphorical psych hospital, like I was locked in for those last three episodes. I was like, uh-huh. this is so cool. I love I'm a sucker for metaphors. I'm a sucker for unraveling origin stories. Like I love all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. for me, it was sort of like a tale of two mini parts of this mini series. Like the first three episodes were sort of setting up who is Steven, who is Mark, uh-huh. who is Moon Knight, what is Moon Knight, what's a Conchu, all these sorts of things. That <laughs> felt a little bit uh-huh. slow and laborious. I wasn't fully into it, to uh-huh. be honest. But as soon as we got the characters and the altars really interacting with each other, you know, more mythology, I 
I was very entertained by the half part, uh, the sort of back half of this uh-huh. miniseries. So, so acknowledging that, I mean, the the taste it left with me was like, oh, that was really cool, and I want more of it, especially with the sort of cliffhanger of finding about the third altar. Like, I definitely left with the entertainment value of like a solid four. But if you had asked me after the first three episodes, I think I would have just been like, oh man, I don't know, I don't know if this is gonna if this is going to work, mm-hmm. but they pulled it off. I think they, you know, with, with plot twists and, you know, and a really powerful, I will say like depiction of Mark's trauma. Wasn't expecting that. Like hadn't had, I hadn't had any familiarity with the character of Moon Knight. And I think uh-huh. they handled that piece really well. I think so too. So all that, you know, entertainment wise, I really, that's why I really liked the sort of back half of the series. Yeah, I agree. I texted you at one point was like, I don't know that there'll be that much for us to talk about. And Mm -hmm. then the psych hospital afterlife episode came on and I texted you. I went, "Never mind, (laughs) We'll have enough to talk about. (laughs) Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. It definitely um, piqued my interest later on in the series, but the first few episodes were like enjoyable enough um, as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and great acting. And, you know, Marvel I think is, is, is pretty good at casting at this point. I, I'm a sucker for a bunch of the actors in this in particular ethan hawk i love as a villain yeah he's a good villain and what's that he's a good villain yeah great villain because you know it's the kind of villain where it's like oh how how bad is he maybe his maybe his logic actually isn't uh isn't so faulty and then you know you kind of learn more and more about what he's trying to do (laughs) Uh yeah all the way along you're kind of like not sure yeah yeah but then we learn both. And, and to be frank, both Egyptian gods are, you know, maybe suspect in their motivations. So, but I think that's sort of part of it. It's like, you know, there's no, there's no one Egyptian god that's like totally on the up and up. But, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, we'll, we'll save our Egyptian mythology maybe for another episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there definitely were like moments of like Deadpool feel to this. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Haley. Well, another episode in the books. Thank you to all our listeners. Please continue to send us suggestions. We have a couple that we're excited to do, but we're definitely open as we get close to the summer for things people are excited to see us talk about. So please reach out to us on any of our social medias at poppsych101. And thank you all for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye.